Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author and PR consultant and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content events and training platform providing success strategies and resources for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. My guest today is Mitchell Scott, the co-founder of The Very Good Butchers. Yes, I'm interviewing a butcher on Vegan Business Talk, but don't worry, it's a vegan butcher. (laughs) So Mitchell is the co-founder, as as I mentioned, The Very Good Butchers, which is a Canadian plant-based meat company. After setting selling out on the farmers' markets on Denman Island in British Columbia, Mitchell and his co-founder and fellow bean butcher, <laughs> James Davison, knew they were on to something. They brought their beans to Victoria and opened the Canadian West Coast's first plant-based butchery. The pair are also opening a new facility that will be able to produce up to $100 million more in product a year, which is an increase of more than two and a half thousand percent wow welcome to the show Mitchell Katrina thanks for having me it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here I am so impressed by your rapid growth I think the business has only been around about three years or so so we're going to dive deep into that today but first of all the name butcher why have you why did you use the word butcher and use the terms butchery yeah so so when James was originally starting the company he was he was looking for a way to to communicate that he's making you know high quality meat alternatives, you know s- similar to what you'd find in a butcher shop. Um, and his idea was, you know, we're the very good butcher, and we can create this you know delicious plant based meat, and it's so good. We're so very good that we can do this without having to kill any animals. That was the kind of gist of it. Um, and we've taken that and just kind of played on it. It seems to resonate really well with people. Uh, you know, the media love it. So we, we've run with it. And uh, I think it does a great job of showing what we're about in creating these high quality meat, al- meat alternatives with, you know, very good ingredients. Yeah. And it certainly gets people talking because they're like, hang on, butcher, butcher, what are we talking about? I thought it was, yeah. it was vegan. So it's nice to kind of start associating those terms and mm-hmm. getting people to think, like you say, about meat uh, differently. So wonderful. I love that. So as we mentioned, you've experienced very fast growth in just a few years, including going public last year, which is uh, yeah. amazing. So just take us back to the early days. You went to the, you had this idea, um, you got together, you're both chefs, I believe you and your your co-founder, you, or one of you is a chef, is that right? Yes, um, yes. One of you is a chef, got it. So you you came up with this idea for the products and you went to farmer's markets, which I know a lot of uh, vegan and plant-based business owners do because it's a great testing mm-hmm. ground. So what happened from there? Talk us through that growth from the farmer's market to the next stage and how you got there. Yeah, I'll give you just a little bit on how, how it got started. So there's, yeah, there's this guy named James, uh, classically trained French chef uh, from England originally, actually. Uh, he comes over to Vancouver, Canada, starts working at a plant-based restaurant there called Heirloom, uh, watches some documentaries, learns more about it, uh, ends up going vegan. Um, he meets a girl, has a kid, all in a, a pretty short space. Uh, and he then moves to this place called Demon Island. Uh, so just off the coast of Vancouver Island, you know, a population of about a thousand, uh, gets there very quickly, realizes there's no work for him. Uh, there's no restaurants. He's going to have to be a little bit entrepreneurial. Um, at the same time, he's missing the taste of meat and he's just not impressed with what's on on grocery store shelves. Everything's very processed, full of ingredients he can't pronounce. 
and he wants to create something that he can feel good about feeding his young family. So that's kind of where it started. Uh, he went into the kitchen for a month or so, came out with two products, uh, very British bangers. So like an English breakfast sausage and then kind of a classic veggie burger, um, had some extra, took it to the local farmer's market, you know, sold out in about 15 minutes or so. Uh-huh. And then it was like, wow, I'm onto something here. So this was actually spring, summer of 2016. So I guess we've been around kind of for five years now. Uh, it has flown by. Um, so him and his wife were spending each week in the kitchen, in the, the home home kitchen, making these products, selling out every weekend. Uh, that's when I kind of came into the picture. Um, so it turns out there's a tenuous family connection there. Um, James's wife's brother is married to my sister, so we're you know stepbrothers in law once removed or or something like that. <laughs> um, I'd grown up vegetarian. I'd had a lot of not so great veggie burgers. Uh, I tried his products and was just blown away. He really kind of nailed it uh, in terms of taste and texture. So this was a, a handmade seitan. So it's it's beans, it's veggies, it's herbs and spices, bit of wheat flour to bind it all together. Really tasty. Um, and we basically, we just got to talking, decided to kind of team up and see where we could take this. Um, we went down to Victoria, which is kind of the closest big city, uh, two and a half hours away for a Christmas market. Once again, had a great response, had a few hundred people show up, sold out again. Um, and while we were there, we noticed they had this full-time retail space available. So it's like this big indoor year-round kind of farmer's market. There's day vendors on the inside, restaurants, stores around the outside. And we said, you know, that that spot looks nice. Let's do something there. Um, so a few months later, uh, February of 2017, uh, we opened the first vegan butcher shop on the west coast of Canada. Uh, had about 1,000 people show up on our opening day. Had to shut down for a week after that just to restock everything. Uh, and then since then, we've really just been struggling to keep up with demand and to keep growing the the brand and and our products. Wow! Wow! That's amazing. I love that. What a yeah. what a story. What were some yeah. of the challenges in opening up uh, that first um, facility? Because, like you said, going to farmers markets it's fairly low risk. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can kind of stop at any time. And, you know, you haven't got the big rents and staff and all of that. So, what were some of the challenges you found in opening the first plant based butchery, and how did you handle those? Yeah, um, it was a lot of work. Uh, luckily, I had some savings, so I kind of bankrolled the initial stuff. I mean, we did all the, the construction ourselves. So I, you know, my, my mom and dad were there helping paint the walls and put stuff in. So we did it, you know, for as cheaply as possible to with the idea of getting something open and kind of testing the market a bit a bit further. Because uh, farmers markets were great. We know people loved it, but we wanted that kind of an outpost where people knew where to find us. Uh, we also wanted to to kind of have a, a restaurant offering there as well. So we, you know, instead of selling a pack of burgers for 10 bucks, we'll sell one burger with a bun for 10 bucks um, was kind of the thinking at the time. Um, that, I mean, biggest biggest challenge early on was absolutely, was capital, was our time, our resources. You know, how are we gonna make this work? You know, obviously, you know, a food manufacturing business is incredibly hard uh, to start and to scale, you know, margins are tight. For the first, you know, we we basically, other than my savings, we bootstrapped for the first couple of years. So it was very much living paycheck to paycheck uh, as a business. Um, so yeah, it was it was tough to kind of managing and juggling all of those, you know, different things. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's helpful for people to know well, how did you get started. So um in so as you mentioned, so you you funded it yourselves for the first couple of years. Then in 2018, you launched an equity crowdfunding campaign. You had a goal of reaching, I believe, hundred K and you hit six hundred K with two hundred and forty investors. Why did you go that route of fundraising at that stage? Yeah. So just to backtrack a little bit, so we opened up 
uh, February 2017. Uh, then that summer, we launched a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, so oh. it wasn't equity crowdfunding, but it was like, it was basically a giant pre-order for our meat. So we, we said, you know, give us a hundred bucks to help us, you know, expand, get some more equipment, build it up. And then in a couple months, we'll give you a hundred bucks of meat back. Uh, and that went really well. We raised about, I want to say 64 or 70,000 from 800 people around the world. Um, and we used that to expand into a larger location. So still in this same market, but uh, it had a production kitchen in the back. We could expand our hot food offering uh, and really just kind of take it to the next level. Um, so we did that. Um, and then the next thing for us, we were on Dragon's Den. Um, I think they have a similar program in the UK, like that kind of business, oh, business yeah. program. So you were on Dragon's Den in Canada. Yes. It's, so yes, it's the yes. same name, but it's uh, confusing. Yeah, it's the same right? name. That's right. Yeah, yeah, there is a British one. Yeah, okay. Um, and then right around the time of the Dragon's Den, like we, we basically realized we have all this demand for our products, but we need to, we need, and we, we can't fill it, right? We have more orders than we can supply. We're still rolling sausages by hand. We need to figure out how to, to do this at scale. Um, so that's what the, this equity crowdfunding campaign was for. I mean, we'd already done the Kickstarter, so we had this base of customers and fans. Um, we were on Dragon's Den. We were kind of had some publicity. So we we basically said, did they turn you, know, you down on Dragon? So you didn't get a deal with Dragon's Den? No. So I bet they're kicking a, themselves now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we we had offers from five of the six Dragons. Had a great result. Oh, did like okay. a did like a handshake deal, um, but it didn't end up materializing, which is apparently quite common with uh, these oh, sorts of okay. deals and TV shows. Um, so we found out, we found that out and then we're like, okay, let's, you know what? We don't need the dragons. We got these awesome customers and fans. Let's see if they want to support us and, and really take things to the next level again. What, um, why did they not go with it? Are you able to say like, why did, what, did they decide? Did you decide? No, we're not. How did yeah. That out? So basically I think maybe they got a bit excited. So they were, they were competing. They were, they ended up putting in a joint offer. And I think at the time they offered us, you know, it was, if it, whatever it was, if that, it was a you know a six hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, and it valued the company at seven and a half million dollars or something, and they were, had this big line of credit attached to it, so it was a great deal. But then they came back to us and offered us you know a quarter of what they offered on TV. Uh-huh. Um, so we were like, you know what, thanks, but no thanks. You know, um, yeah. take advantage of the publicity and yeah, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, so then we raised you know money at a similar valuation on Front Funder. Um, raised six hundred thousand dollars and used that to open a proper production facility. So we moved into an old bakery. You know, once again, I got my parents back in to help <laughs> paint the walls <laughs> and put some, uh, put some stuff up. Um, and that's when we kind of moved from like a little kitchen to a not a huge space, but you know, four thousand square feet. We we're able to get our first sausage stuffer in there, so we're no more rolling by hand and really able to start producing more products so that we could start getting into to more grocery stores. Because originally we were just selling in our butcher shop. We're selling online, uh, and then we were selling in like thirty, or, you know, a handful of grocery stores based on on what we could produce. I love that. What a story! I love that, and I love yeah. that. You know, you can go on these shows, and they don't always pan out. And even if you don't get a deal, or if either party decides to change it, it doesn't mean it's over. I think sometimes people can put a bit of an all or nothing, like oh my gosh, mm-hmm. um, you know. So I think that that's really great with the crowdfunding campaign, the equity crowdfunding campaign. Why? Because crowdfunding, whether it's equity crowdfunding or, you know, uh, general crowdfunding, they can be hit and miss for some people. Like some businesses, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it just doesn't work. And for some like mm-hmm. yours, you're sort of hitting it out of the park. Why? Well, how did you promote the equity crowdfunding campaign? And why do mm-hmm. you think that campaign was such a success? Yeah. 
I think, I mean, from day one, we'd been building a brand, building a story. Uh, we run the Kickstarter campaign, so people were already kind of familiar, very similar mechanics, right? Um, so we, we built this community. We were building an email list, a website. Um, and so then by the time we were ready for Front Funder, we had all these people we could talk to, you know, on, on social media, on email, um, through some new stuff we did. So we just had a lot of different ways of promoting it and getting it out there and kind of sharing our story with a wider audience. Got it. Wonderful. So let's talk about going public. So last year you became, I think, the second plant-based meat company yeah. after Beyond Meat to launch an, an IPO. And I believe it, it started out, you know, straight out of the gate, a lot of excitement again, which is fantastic. Um, and this was in the midst of the pandemic, you know, in 2020, mm -hmm. you, you went public. Um, why did you decide to go public? And especially at this early stage, because I know it's an interesting mm -hmm. way you go, like for independent businesses or for family businesses, it's that weighing up of that loss of control, I guess. Um, so why did you decide to go public at this stage? Yeah, so for us, I mean, we'd, we'd raised the money on Front Funder, we'd expanded, uh, gotten to a point where we realized we needed to raise more money to, to further expand, to get more equipment, you know, there's to buy ingredients, like there's, there's so many different costs. Um, and for a, a good six months to a year, I was out on the, I guess the pitch circuit, you could call it. So I was at startup events, I was pitching to investors, you know, talking to VCs, just, you know, trying to raise some more money. Uh, we had a, some, some early successes, you know, we brought in a bit more money after the front, the front funder, not a ton. Um, and then I was actually just, I was still doing deliveries at the time. So I was doing deliveries in Vancouver, super nice place, walk in there for the delivery and the, the guy starts chatting to me. Uh, he's a huge fan, loves what we're doing, has been to a restaurant in Victoria. Um, and he's wondering what our plans are for growth. Um, and his whole thing was he was, so he was in the capital markets in, in Vancouver. Um, and his whole pitch was, you know, him and a few friends will, will put in some money. So they put in just under 2 million to help us kind of scale up, professionalize the company with the goal of taking it public, you know, within a year or so. Um, and we, I mean, we thought long and hard about it, but, uh, for us, it was the best deal on the table at the time. I mean, we were, we were looked at term sheets from VCs, uh, and we were giving up, you know, a lot of control there as well. We we're basically kind of handing, handing over our company to them. Um, and at the same time, you know, beyond meat had just gone public. There was a lot of retail demand and interest in plant-based. There weren't a lot of options out there. Um, and we'd also done this front funder campaign. So we had 250 investors essentially on our cap table, which makes it tricky went to not to negotiate, you know, with some of these VC deals. Um, so at the end of the day, we saw it as the best option for us to remain in control of our company. I mean, myself and my co-founder are still the largest shareholders by far. And instead of being beholden to a small group of VCs who can kind of choose when you stay and when you go, we'd rather be beholden to our customers, our fans, our investors, you know, the public, anyone that wants to buy a share, we'd rather, you know, be responsible to them and, you know, have myself and James as those two largest shareholders. Um, we went through the process of you know, getting everything ready. I will also say in Canada, it is definitely more common uh, for smaller cap companies to go public, especially uh, in, you know, in Vancouver and Toronto, um, more common and, and much less expensive than it is in say the States. Uh, so you see more companies going that route as opposed, you know, there's less private money, it seems less private money available in Canada and more, more public money. Or um, So yeah, I mean, we decided to go for it, get through the audit, all that kind of stuff. Uh, all ready to go public. You know, it's, I want to say February of, I guess, last year, no, a year before. And then COVID hits. I don't know how long this pandemic has been going on. It seems like a long time. Uh, 
COVID hits, you know, markets melt down. We have to put it on pause for a few months. Um, and we'll obviously deal with, you know, COVID challenges at the same time. Uh, but then we end up going public. Uh, just over, It was just over a year ago, I guess, you know, July of last year. Uh, and have a great response. Great response. You know, we raise four million while we go public. Um, start at twenty-five cents a share. It goes up to around two fifty. Settles around, you know, a dollar seventy-five. We're able to raise more money at that higher valuation, and then really just kind of step on the gas and and really further further accelerate and expand. Wow. So when you said you you went through the audit process, so how complicated was it? Like if someone wants to go public, is there a minimum? Like, do you have to have certain requirements in place already, like a minimum turnover or not have massive flows? Like, is there any, can you just talk us through that that process? I think that would be helpful to people to go, well, how do I know if I'm ready to go public? What do you need in place? Yeah, it was complicated for us because audit went back, I think two years. So it went back to our first year in business. And at that period in time, we were still doing, you know, shoebox accounting. So all the receipts, I just spent months digging through them. Um, but if you're relatively organized, it isn't too, I mean, it depends what exchange you're going public on. They all have different requirements. It was manageable though. I mean, we brought on a CFO who, who'd, who'd gone through that process before. So he really helped organize and spearhead the whole process. Um, but it was definitely challenging, you know, finding all those receipts uh, and if you don't can't find one receipt, then they look for two more receipts, so it can very quickly snowball. Um, oh wow! And then of course there's you know getting the lawyers to prepare this big hundred plus page document. Um, so it's definitely definitely a lot. Um, but uh, so it, quite it, an expensive it, process as well. If you've got to have lawyers involved, there's a certain certain expense attached to it. Doing it. Yeah. So going into it, we were told it would cost around you know two hundred thousand Canadian or so. Um, mm-hmm. Ended up costing closer to half a million. So it's a significant right. expense. Um, gotcha. It ended up definitely absolutely paying off for us as we were, you know, able to access the the public markets for capital kind of once we were public. That's great. And you don't need you didn't need the permission of any of your previous investors to do public. Like you could just basically say, right, we're going public, and they have to kind of like it or lump it kind of thing. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, myself, myself, and James were the the largest shareholders. Had you know had more than fifty one percent of the company. Uh, that initial group of investors that came in with the two million were were very supportive of that kind of path, okay. uh, and I think our our front funder investors were just kind of happy to to see us growing and expanding. And yeah, nice, nice. What have been the benefits so far? I know it's only been a, a short sort of time. What benefits have you seen so far from going public? Yeah, um, biggest thing has been access to capital at a valuation that we 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 couldn't have achieved privately. Um, so we're able to raise much more money than we, we could have previously, which allows us to expand faster. Uh, it allows us to, to hire eight people, uh, allows us to, to lease, you know, a new production facility. So we've, a few months ago, you know, we started operating in the old day of foods facility in Vancouver. So 45,000 square foot, really full on manufacturing. Um, so I think that's been the biggest thing for us. Um, obviously I guess there's some rep- reputational stuff as well. You're seen as, you know, being, larger and more professional. But for, for us, the biggest thing was that access to capital, I don't want to say easily or quickly, um, but we're not spending a year, you know, raising a round or raising money and doing endless pitches and meetings and, you know, talks and all, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, gotcha. Any drawbacks or challenges involved in going public? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's, it's almost like you have to run a second company. So you've got your your original business, and that's got to be running great. You know, it's got to be growing, um, increasing revenue. 
And then on top of that, you have to layer on the, the public side, which is almost like for me, it's another, you know, full-time job, almost communicating with investors, um, you know, raising money, putting out, you know, news releases, all that kind of stuff is, is yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work and, you know, you can bring in people to help and we have, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot. And, you know, the stock price goes up and goes down and goes up um, and yeah, it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's been really great for us. Nice. Now, as we mentioned, you have scaled very quickly. So as you mentioned, you've had you've got the larger flagship production facilities in Canada. I believe you've got one in the US and you're mm-hmm. working on an online platform to service UK and European customers. So I'm just curious how you've managed to do that, because I know, obviously, you know, the story is great and, mm-hmm. and you, you're sharing it. But I'd, I'd, I'd love if you can just kind of dive dive a bit deeper into how you've managed mm-hmm. to do that successfully given all the moving parts you've got staff mm-hmm. costs which are no small thing rents and mm-hmm. you know equipment all of that while balancing mm-hmm. the finances and not I guess quite I'm putting growing too quickly in in, in mm-hmm. you know in air quotes because almost like because that can be a danger for some companies mm-hmm. in that they grow too quickly and then they can't fulfill and then it can all kind of you know crash in on itself um so how have you managed to kind of do all of that like grow so quickly whilst balancing you know the finances and everything else involved yeah um the short answer is is hiring great people um so my role is has transitioned a bit into more of a a storyteller and then and we've built a really solid kind of leadership team um so the nice thing about vancouver there's a lot of big plant-based food companies have come from there you know guardian vega day of foods so there's a lot of awesome people there who have gone through similar things before uh, I know how to scale and and run uh, a large plant-based food company. Um, so we've really brought in a great team. You know, each people have, they have their different departments. They're, they're building out their teams uh, and helping out in all areas. Um, and together we're, you know, we're not doing it perfectly, but we're managing our growth. Uh, and we're, you know, making sure that we're, because we see all this demand for the product. So we're making sure that we have the production capacity. And then once that we have that capacity, we're we're getting that out there, uh, and it's definitely a, a juggling or a balancing act. Um, but so far, we've been we've been doing all right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. That, that's good that you've mentioned that that bringing in the right people at the right time um, to yeah to manage all of that because trying to do it yourself and having founder oh. syndrome where you want to control everything and try and manage everything and it, it can be quite impossible. impossible sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I appreciate you sharing that. So you mentioned so you your products are sold in your own stores obviously um and including your online shop um as well as other retailers where do most of your sales come from at the moment mitchell would you say is it predominantly other retailers or online what's that kind of balance just approximately yeah so it's you know 70 to 80 percent online or it has been historically um especially through covid more and more people are buying online um also while we were scaling up uh it's easier to adjust your your online sales through different promotions and ad campaigns Whereas if you make a huge commitment to a retailer and you can't fulfill it, you know, it's, that's a missed opportunity there. I mean, I think long-term it's going to shift the other way. It's going to be 80% retailers, you know, 20, 15% online and then the rest in our butcher shops. Um, yeah. All right. Got it. Got it. What tips and advice can you offer vegan or plant-based business owners who want to scale? So anything you've learned along the way, because um, obviously this is, I guess, a new thing for both of you and, and, and mm. James. So, what what advice can you offer on anyone that's kind of in a situation going, yeah, I want to do that, whatever it is, whether it's you know not necessarily the same type of products that you do, but anyone who thinks, yeah, I want to do that, I want to mm-hmm. grow, I want to scale, what advice and tips can you offer them? Yeah, I think the first thing is make sure you have 
kind of that product market fit, like make sure you have a product that people actually want. Um, and, you know, I think we're almost lucky in that we bootstrapped the first few years because it forced us to really figure out what our customers want and, and make it for them. Um, obviously you want traction, you want to be growing, growing a brand. Um, and then I think the, the next thing is just be really careful with who you're hiring, like put in a solid team. Cause you can't, you know, you can't do it all yourself. Um, so, you know, find people that, you know, align with your values and that have, have done this work before and, and can help you. Um, and that, I mean, that doesn't even factor in what, what you'll need to scale, which is, you know, likely a uh, significant capital. Yeah, absolutely. Any particular times? Because I know sometimes, you know, when we get the sort of not the unicorn story, there's another term for it, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We get the, the Phoenix story, is it or the, the origin yeah. story? And it's always, you know, it's a positive thing. Can you talk us through any particular times where it wasn't all just sunshine and rainbows and you were at a point of kind of like, I'm not sure if we can do this, it's all too much? Like any particular times where things were just not going well? Can you give us a couple of examples of those? Because I just want to make sure people are, are realistic. Because mm -hmm. I know people might think, oh, this sounds great. I'm going to do that and and yeah. it's all you know happy happy all the time so yeah, yeah. can you just talk us through a couple of yeah things? so i mean i didn't you know myself and my co-founder didn't pay ourselves a salary for the first two years at least um i pawned my wife's wedding ring twice uh while, while, oh, while wow. we we're growing the company um <laughs> Are you you still can married? Imagine, <laughs> yeah, we're still married uh i got the <laughs> ring back both times um oh, but good. you can you can imagine and that you know to make that was to make payroll um you can imagine, yeah, how, so yeah, things were, were tight and were tough as we were growing and scaling. And I mean, everything was, was kind of positive in that we, people liked what we were doing. We had more orders than we could fill, but trying to get, you know, all the pieces to work properly so that you can, you know, be continuing to grow and, and make money and finance that growth is, yeah, super challenging. And there's been so many companies that have a, a great product or offering, but they haven't been able to kind of keep growing. Um, so those are just a few small examples. I mean, for, I mean, I was, yeah, I was working seven days a week for the longest time. I get weekends off now usually, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's tough and you have to really believe in what you're doing to, to kind of tough through it. And I think especially, you know, we were running the butcher shop, we were still doing farmer's markets on the weekends. It was, it was full on. And at that point, we didn't really have money to, to hire people or, or good people who knew what they were doing. So we were, you know, we were small, we were tight and we were doing everything, you know, everything ourselves. So I was, you know, doing all our accounting and then sending it to prof professionals once a quarter to kind of review. That's what I um, did when we first started our business. When yeah. we came, to, we moved from the UK to Australia and I did that and yeah. it was a nightmare. I had to pay someone like you say, a professional to kind of undo whatever mess yeah. I'd done. And the best <laughs> things I did was to hand it over to a bookkeeper. I was like, oh my God, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So yeah, yeah. And it's, I guess it seems like, you know, it's been faster overnight or, or whatever, but it has, you know, it's been four or five, you know, pretty hard years. And, you know, over the past, you know, two years or so, it's been, it hasn't been easier, but it's been, you know, it's, it's been, it's been really great and exciting to finally do all these things that we've been dreaming of for years. And, and really, you know, like we were, I remember we were joking, you know, when we first started the company, like our end goal was to get into Whole Foods market was like the the pinnacle, right? And then we did that, we did that two years ago or, or whatever it was. Like, wow, 
here we're in Whole Foods. Okay, what's next? Where else are let's you know? So. <laughs> I love it. I thank you for sharing that. I think it's just helpful for people to know. And I mean, it can be you know even mm-hmm. something like a tech thing going wrong, and then suddenly you know that's more time, and it can impact on other things. And it it can be stressful. It, you know, it's not all mm-hmm. just that that easy road. But obviously, you know, when the the gains come, it's. Uh, Amazing. So in terms of marketing and sales, I know you said from the beginning you've been building a brand. And I think that's again, that's another important message that you, mm-hmm. you've shared. You haven't just created these products and put them out there and how many sales can mm-hmm. you get? You've actually created a brand. You've told you know the story. Um, what have been some of the marketing strategies that you've used and that you continue to use that have been most successful? Yeah, good question. I mean, er, I mean, for the first few years, there was no marketing budget or marketing person. So it was it was me and it was all organic social media. It was having, you know, making a website, you know, having an email list. I think that's really crucial to have that direct connection to your consumers early on. Cause if you're on a grocery store shelf, you're at the whims of the retailer, they can decide they don't like you and move you or delist you. If you have fans and a way to communicate with them, you can say, Hey, go buy the product here or buy it from us. Like you have a lot more options. Um, in terms of kind of tactical things i think we've just we tried early on it was just kind of a, a be everywhere mentality or approach so it was a lot of events it was a lot of you know we were doing two or three we had the butcher shop open we were doing two or three different farmers market or pop-ups or collaborations with other brands you know as we've evolved we've started working with some influencers so sending out a bunch of product getting them to to be your brand ambassadors um has been good um trying to think if there's anything else that springs to mind i think also just kind of having a, a bit of fun with it um, we've got our, our, our mascot is a dead bean named Bertie. Um, and <laughs> we, we put him on t-shirts. We kind of have, have a little fun with it. Um, and just, I think coming across as, you know, authentic, you know, down to earth, uh, really resonates with people and they'll be, your fans will be your biggest kind of cheerleaders or supporters and they they'll tell their, their friends and, and it'll all kind of go from there. Nice. Uh, I love that. Now, obviously, as we mentioned, this plant-based meat space is growing massively globally, which is uh, obviously awesome. And you've got, you know, some big competitors. You've got your Beyond Meat, your Impossible um, Foods in the, the plant and others in the plant-based space. But now we've also got the big corporations, you know, like Nestle mm-hmm. and others, like coming in and bringing out their own plant-based meat products. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you and how do you plan to continue to stand out and apart? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, a few things. So I almost see Beyond and Impossible as an extension of our marketing department. Uh, they're putting Super Bowl ads out there. They're getting more and more people to try a plant-based burger. Uh, and then for a lot of people, they have this kind of negative perception of plant-based meats. I mean, I had, you know, as I mentioned, some not so great veggie burgers over the years. I'm sure most people have. Um, so once someone tries one of their products, they're like, wow, plant-based meat tastes good. And then they're going to be much more open to it. They're going to see what else is out there. They're not going to eat the same burger day in, day out. Um, so it's really kind of opening the door for new customers. Um, I think for us, we're trying to, and then sorry, just for the Nestle point, I think, you know, a lot of people don't want to purchase from the, the Nestle's of the world. Um, and what we're, we're trying to do is, is show that we have a, a better product and a, and a mission behind it. Um, and we're really positioning ourselves as that kind of, Premium plant-based meat. This is with the very good butchers. Um, so we, you know, great ingredients, uh, great taste, great texture, uh, still affordable, but definitely a bit premium, like what you'd find going into a butcher shop or in the kind of high-end meat section, I guess, of your grocery store. Um, and I think it's hard for the big companies, even even for Beyond and Impossible, to say they have the the highest quality, finest products 
you know, in the world if they are at Burger King and at all these other big fast food chains. So it's great that they're getting them out there and making it more accessible. Um, but I think as people eat more plant-based meat, they're going to start taking a closer look at, at what's in it uh, and they're going to start shopping around and, and looking at other options. Right. So your focus is uh, a bit more healthier products or less processed. Is that right? Yeah. So healthier and just putting real, real food into our products. So, you know, all our products contain, you know, beans, vegetables, you know, most of them three or four different actual vegetables. So we're taking, we're not just taking, you know, dried veggies and powder. We're taking real vegetables, grinding them up and, and yeah. So putting this into it. And as a result of that, you know, they're healthier, they've got better nutritionals. Um, and that's a really a key part of what we do is how do we create the tastiest plant-based products like the taste and texture has to be there or you're, you're not going to get it anyone yeah. uh, but how do we actually make it healthy and, and good for you as well yeah wonderful I think that's going to be a growing market as you said I know I certainly see on social media which is kind of frustrating in a way because you know because I've been like same with you now I've been vegan for yeah. 25 years and and I've seen this thing it's like oh you know these plant-based meats oh but they're full of x y and z they're yeah. really highly processed and it's like well hello you know let's look at what's in the meat you know whatever but it's kind of interesting but yeah. at the same time i guess people it's good to have those those options like you said for people who want to go to the you know fast food places and they've mm -hmm. you know they've got the option uh, of something but also yeah with what you're doing i think that's quite going to be quite a growing market that kind of slightly cleaner healthier mm. but still tasty because look like you i've had the lentil burgers you know what i mean the lentil pates yeah, yeah. that are like dry yeah. and bland and they might be healthy but not very yeah. tasty so i think this is an area that's yeah, yeah like super tasty and delicious and um and clean as well so mm -hmm. just finally um to wrap up um mitchell what are your future plans i know sometimes it can be a bit hard to plan with covid nobody yeah. really knows what's going on but what what are your visions for yourself and for the company yeah um so i mean for myself uh you know i still want to i mean i'm i'm here for uh, i'm actually i'm here for you know the foreseeable future uh i'm really loving what i'm doing uh actually having a, a daughter in a month and a half or so so that'll be oh, a big change for me. yeah you heard it first on vegan business media there we go we've broken the story wonderful yeah. exciting. um and for the business i mean there's there's so much going on so we went public you know a year ago and we went public as the very good food company um and that's because you know we love what we're doing at the very good butchers that's still a, a super core part of our business but we saw all these opportunities in other categories uh, so, you know, six months ago or so, we acquired a, a, a plant-based cheese company called The Cultured Nut. Um, we've rebranded that as the Very Good Cheese Company. So we're getting into cheese. Uh, we're looking at other categories as well, dairy alternatives, um, ready-to-eat meals. And basically, we're trying to get, you know, millions of people to rethink what they're eating and their food choices. Um, we want to go into people's pantries and fridges and, and take every animal-based product in there and replace it with a tastier, healthier, cleaner, plant-based version. Um, and we're trying to build a global brand. So, you know, the focus this year is on North America, where we just launched in U.S. retail, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, we're already starting to look at Europe. Uh, so we, we launched in uh, e-commerce in the U.K. actually also a few weeks ago. Um, so next year, you know, expanding into Europe, looking at APAC. And we really, yeah, we want to be a global brand. Uh, we want to have these, these butcher shops, you know, 15 or 20 of these butcher shops around the world just showing what we're all about, showing that plant-based eating is approachable and delicious. You don't have to sacrifice anything to have a, a juicy burger or steak. Um, we want to, you know, we want to sell online and we want to also be in grocery stores. Wow. So not much then. I'm kidding. <laughs> not much. Not much. So that's, that's what we're driving towards. Um, and, you know, it'll take, 
some more time to get there. But I think based on, on how fast we've been moving so far, uh, I think it's, yeah, I'm just very excited to, to see where we go. Wonderful. I love it. Really exciting. Such yeah, great things happening in the space. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, but and also, yeah, some of the, the, the more detailed pieces of how you went mm. about that and why you made the decisions that you did. And yeah, obviously a very exciting time for the very good the very good butchers, the very good cheese company, the very good food company. So um yeah, yeah really, really wonderful. Really appreciate your time, Mitchell. Thank you so much for joining me today. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. I hope you enjoyed it and found it useful. If you like the show, please give it a review on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening on as it helps to get it seen by more people. There are more free resources on the veganbusinessmedia.com website to help you in your quest to build and sustain a successful business. And if you'd like to work with me personally on promoting and growing your vegan business or brand, you'll find details on how to do this on the website at veganbusinessmedia.com and clicking on the Work With Me menu link. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to catching up with you on the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 